Hey there, and welcome to GlobeMed Talk, where we bring you stories from the GlobeMed Network and the Movement for Global Health Equity. My name is Christine Badenis, and I'm the Communications and Development Manager for GlobeMed. In this episode, Communications Intern Katrina Green spoke with recent GlobeMed at University of Rochester alumna Nisha Aria about her experiences on her grassroots on-site work experience, or GROW internship, as the Global Health U coordinator for the chapter, and what GlobeMed has taught her about working in equitable partnerships with communities. The work of GlobeMed is long-term work, where sometimes we're only able to see the impact after a student graduates. If you'd like to learn more about the GlobeMed model, check out our website at www.globemed.org. And now, here's Kat and Nisha. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. All right, so we will just get started. Would you like to give a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. So my name is Nisha. I just graduated from the University of Rochester, and I served as the Global Health Understanding Director for two years. And I graduated with a degree in anthropology, and I'll be going to the University of Rochester Medical School next year. So what did your GlobeMed membership contribute to your undergraduate experience? So GlobeMed was a huge part of my undergraduate experience. I met so many of my closest friends through GlobeMed. And I also think it just like really shaped my worldview in really profound ways. You know, like through GHU, I stayed with GHU throughout my four years. And I feel like I really learned how to critically think through GlobeMed. Like I would engage in political discussions before, like in high school, but I don't think I really understood why I believed what I did until I came to GlobeMed and was surrounded by people that were questioning at me and asking me to think deeper. Um, you know, when we talked about political activism and social justice, I had to really confront what I thought I knew and what I didn't know. And I really attribute GlobeMed to making me a better activist, a better person, and hopefully a better doctor in the future. So as you mentioned, your role at the University of Rochester chapter was as the director of Global Health University discussions, and those were conducted weekly at chapter meetings. So what was your process for developing these discussions, and what advice do you have for others having these discussions? Yeah, so when I joined GHU, we actually really changed what GHUs looked like for our chapter. Initially, they were very academic-based, often PowerPoints that had just a wall of text of statistics and facts, often like very medical-based. And when I joined, we decided that we wanted to kind of really develop this into something bigger. And so we kind of started taking any sort of social justice topic, including gender norms and parenting styles and <laughs> college drinking and politics and ask people to think more critically about them because all of these topics ultimately make you a better thinker and make you better people and better activists. And so the process was we had like four or five members and we would meet twice in the week leading up to the presentation. The first time we met for an hour, we would be brainstorming. So we'd be coming up with potential topic ideas. We'd often be debating in the middle of a Starbucks lounge on our campus, really pushing on each other to think of a cool topic. When we came up with one, like, what did we want to say about it? And those I think are some of my fondest memories because there I really felt that I was able to hone in on what my opinions were and why I was conflicted. Whereas like at the actual 
GHU on Saturday, it was a little more of like a formal discussion. So I didn't get to be pushed as much, but it was at those like planning meetings that I really grew. And so then once we have nailed down a topic, then on the second meeting of the week, we would come up with our presentation. So usually each GHU would last around an hour long. And so we would have, you know, 15 slides starting off with current events that happened in the past week and then getting into presentations, either information or we love to do interactive activities, which had never really been done in our chapter before, such as scenarios or like the Jubilee Spectrum videos, which are on YouTube, but you just kind of act out in the room. If you agree or disagree, you like go to either end of the room. And so, yeah, that was the process for developing them. And then advice. I would say just like be open to learning something new and changing the narrative. Like GHUs never really looked like the way we had done them and current events, we didn't really have that section until I joined. And then for the participants, don't be afraid to push back. My favorite experiences were when people questioned me and when I had to think about what my opinions were. And so obviously being respectful and having this brave space is I think really helpful in in making us better thinkers. Did you have a favorite GHU that you ran as the director? Oh, that's a really good question. I think one that just like comes to mind off the top of my head was we did one on diet culture and that we actually did twice in my college career, once when I was an underclassman, once when I was an upperclassman. And I felt like, especially the first time, that was like the first time that I've seen our GlobeMed members be really vulnerable and really recount their own experiences of eating disorders and self-image and expectations and beauty standards and how it personally affected them. I feel like a lot of the time in GlobeMed, we talk about like lofty ideas of global health equity and, you know, like activism, but we kind of like lose ourselves in the process. And so I felt like that GHU, we were able to talk about, you know, real systemic issues of toxic beauty standards and racist beauty standards and food and all these things. But also while people were able to really be vulnerable and support each other, I just thought that was like a really beautiful thing. (laughs) So. So as you mentioned, you were an anthropology graduate. Can you explain what your thesis was on? Yeah. So I kind of did more of like a medical anthropology thesis where I investigated the vaccine diplomacy of India, basically, for the COVID-19. So India, at the beginning of the pandemic, was kind of not hit as hard with COVID, but then kind of like the second wave and third wave hit them pretty hard. But India is known to be a vaccine manufacturer. And so they were able to use this uh, vaccine gifting program called Vaccine Mayatri to gift over like 70 or 80 countries, millions of COVID-19 doses of the vaccine. And so I kind of investigated the political implications of these gifts, the power dynamics between India and the other countries, and what Indian physicians thought about the COVID-19 vaccine as a gift. Um, And the University of Rochester is partnered with the Social Organization for Voluntary Action, which is located in India. So you also attended an in-person GROW as a sophomore, and you were the GROW coordinator for your team. So did your experience in India as a GROW intern guide your anthropology thesis in any way? Hmm, That's a really interesting question, because it's kind of funny to think about when I went on GROW, it was the end of my freshman year. And so that was before COVID was a thing. And so I wasn't really thinking about the vaccine, obviously, and stuff like that when I was there. But I think definitely 
grow really influenced more of maybe my interest in global health in India and what that looked like. I remember when I was there in person, especially as GROW coordinator, I was oftentimes tasked with coming up with interview questions for a physician that we just met at Srimala Health Center or something. And we knew 20 minutes in advance, you know, and so we would be in the corner, like coming up with questions right on the spot for us to interview him about. And so that sort of being on the spot, coming up with questions, changing them as you go was a really helpful skill for when I was doing my thesis, because I also interviewed a lot of physicians in India. And so understanding what sort of questions are helpful, what sort of answers you want to know, what sort of questions are culturally sensitive, I think is also a huge thing that I learned on the trip as well. So I feel like more of the methods of what I learned on GROW was really helpful for my thesis and how I was able to investigate my questions. And now that you have graduated, you mentioned that you are taking a gap year before going to medical school. So what are you doing with your gap year? And are there any lessons from GlobeMed that you have taken for the work that you are currently doing? Yes, I am currently in Los Angeles, specifically in Garden Grove. I am working at a healthcare company, basically making sure that vulnerable populations are getting access to the healthcare they need. And so specifically, I'm working with an elderly Vietnamese population. And of course, this is connected to GlobeMed, right? It's equitable healthcare. It's global health equity. And I definitely pursued this job because of GlobeMed. I know a lot of doctors are trying more and more now to be more culturally sensitive, but I felt for me personally, I really wanted to understand the insurance side of it because of course, understanding the social environmental factors of health is really important, but also understanding the insurance and financial aspect like they go hand in hand. People can't get the scientific care from the doctor that they need if they can't even meet with the doctor, right? Because their insurance doesn't cover it. And so I'm so thankful for GlobeMed for making sure that I am interested in healthcare specifically so that when I am a doctor, I'm not only caring for my patients in the best way I can, but also connecting them to resources so that they can be insured and that they can see a doctor if they ever need it. And what keeps you going and grounds your position in the world? I think maybe something that I find really important, self-care, but more in being happy and stable with yourself. I think it's really inspiring when people are going out of their way to care for patients and care for vulnerable populations and all these things. But I truly believe that you can't do that without really loving and caring for yourself. Obviously, those things can go hand in hand. But I know so many activists that are martyrs, you know, (laughs) that are putting their own health and mental health at risk for the greater good. And while I think that's admirable, I really think that it's super important to care for yourself and it's not selfish. And so being really happy with yourself, having friends that support you, eating well, being happy, watching movies that you like, those are all really important to doing important work. And that term radical self-care, radical self-love that I just think is super important and that can then permeate to other people. But I think it's also like a really radical thing to love yourself and make sure you want to do the work you can do. And what lessons or advice would you like to share with other globe matters? Obviously self-care, <laughs> but also maybe coming from like a more of a GHU standpoint, be open to pushing back. I think we've become really 
good at establishing safe spaces, but the brave space has changed. And I think the best way we can learn and grow and be better is by changing our mind and it being okay to change our mind. But that also means not just staying silent. If you disagree with something that, you know, a GHU member says, ask about it, you know, like that doesn't mean that you're a bad person, doesn't mean that anyone else is. It just means that you're trying to grow. Obviously, that comes with a lot of caveats of being respectful and having good intentions and respecting everyone in that room. But I just think it's such an amazing process of going through GHUs and has shaped me in so many different ways that I really want other Globe Matters to have that same like opportunity. And I really wish that in my time, I was able to do more encouraging people to do that. I personally, as someone who was at your GHU meetings, feel like you did push me. Okay. And I learned <laughs> Hopefully so not much. too hard. <laughs> But I learned so much from those discussions and definitely felt more open to talking, especially because you would be honest about things that you weren't fully certain of. And like, let's have a discussion about this or want to mention one GHU that we did where we split the room up into groups and we had one group be a patient who was very sick and unvaccinated. One person who was a patient who was vaccinated and not as sick. And then one person was the doctor and one was the hospital administrator. And it was like discussing how to designate resources and just having different discussions about like medical ethics. Um, And it's really hard decisions. And when you have to defend a perspective that you don't necessarily agree with, that can be really difficult too. But it makes you reframe your thinking. And I think that's something that I've learned a lot from Globe Med, especially under your GHU guidance. (laughs) Yeah, that's really great. I'm really happy. I remember learning this quote when I was, I think in high school, it was, you can't hate someone you know. And so like when you are, dealing with someone that you disagree with or that you have like a fundamental polar opposite view of, if you really understood where they were coming from and why they believed what they did, you wouldn't actually be able to hate them. And obviously it takes a long time to understand that and to go through and understanding someone that you truly will never understand, but eventually you can. And so I just feel like GHU and and that opportunity, as much as I disagree with people who don't get vaccinated, understanding why they're coming from that position is, I think, really vital in hopefully changing their mind or understanding why they don't want to. It's just a really important process. Yeah, I definitely agree. A lot of groups have not been able to go on in-person grow in a couple of years because of COVID and have had very changing partnership relations. But I'd love to ask a little bit more about your experience with an in-person grow and especially as a grow coordinator. What are some things you did to prepare and some things that you recommend and wish you had known before you went? Yeah. So I was a grow coordinator and we had four other people on our team. And so It was obviously there's a lot of logistics of making sure we had flights and travel insurance and all these things. But I think the part that I wish we had prepared more for was the cultural shock. I think because my parents are from India, I've been there like seven or eight times. I didn't really anticipate what that would have been like for other members that had never gone. In fact, three of the five of the team had been to India multiple times and were of Indian descent. So I felt like the two that weren't and had never been really got a huge culture shock. 
India is definitely like a very unique place and a really beautiful place, but it can be overwhelming at times, especially traveling there for a month as your first time in, you know, rural India. (laughs) So I wish I had done more to kind of prepare. And I think they definitely did an amazing job and nothing bad happened, but I think it could have been more seamless maybe if we had talked more about, you know, cultural expectations, even like sights that you'd see, smells that you would have, how hot it would be (laughs) getting bitten by mosquitoes as you're going to the bathroom, like all those things you don't think about until you're there and it can be a lot. And so I think we did really amazing work and I'm so proud of like the computer literacy program that we were able to come up with in the last two or three days of our trip. But in order to make it maybe a more enjoyable experience for everyone, I wish there was more of that like cultural integration. Definitely. Do you want to talk more about the computer literacy program and how that came to be? Yeah. So when usually when you go on Grow, at least for our chapter, it's more of a check-in to make sure that the partnership is mutually beneficial and we are listening to our partner and making sure that we are giving them the funds that they need and allocating them in the right way. And so we were fulfilling our duties to do that, you know, filling out the partnership action framework and looking at the different efficacy of the different programs. But I remember we were invited to go to the opening of a program at a local hospital called the One Stop Center where that kind of served as like a place of refuge for domestic violence survivors. Um, There was psychiatric counseling, there was medical attention, there was connecting people to jobs, food, like all these sort of things. And so the day like before that, when they were trying to come up with all of the staff for that, we realized that a lot of the women that were interviewing didn't have basic computer skills. Like the reason they were getting rejected from these potential job positions was because they didn't know how to open a Word document on the computer or they didn't know how to work Excel. And so we were like, hmm, that's really interesting. And I don't think we would have really recognized that if we hadn't been there in person, but we approached our contact at SOVA and just like asked him more about that. And the next day he was on board and we were already drafting a lesson plan for a 30 day program on basic computer literacy, making sure you know how to type and work basic programs, things that would make these women equipped to take on jobs and be financially independent, which is so incredibly important when it comes to domestic violence. So many of the survivors there had to stay in abusive marriages because of their finances because their husband had controlled all their finances and they had no way of leaving. And so we thought this program was super important in making sure that these women had the opportunity to do whatever they wanted, you know, and to be financially independent. And so by the time we left, we had already done a trial run of, you know, basic computer literacy. And then I think basically by like the first month of school, we had received the itemized list of what funds SOVA needed in order to make this program happen, like how many computers they wanted, how much money it would cost, how much to pay the instructors. And it got the ball rolling. And here we are. I think we've been doing the computer literacy program for the past few years. It's 30 or 60 women every year. I'm actually not too sure on the the numbers, but I'm just like really proud of that. 
because that's not like really been done before on Grow. Usually it's like analyzing the efficacy, but actually like proposing new programs and making them happen within the same trip is pretty rare. So we're just really proud of that. Yeah, that was an amazing accomplishment. But something that's difficult for equitable partnerships is the difference between making suggestions and being an overbearing partner or coming across as a parental partnership. So how did you navigate those conversations so that it was respectful and went successfully? Yeah, no, we were painfully aware of that fact, as we know from the very beginning of GlobeMed, like how it came to be, we were really aware of that power differential. So that's why when we had noticed that many women weren't going on in the job interview process because of their computer literacy skills, we just like asked our main contact, Prashant, who was our translator, but also serves as the program coordinator for a lot of the programs that happened at SOFA. And we weren't ever conceptualizing that this would be a program. We didn't think that anything would come to fruition. This was one of the many questions we had just asked him when we were observing all these things. And it was only when we asked about that, that he really took a moment to be like, wait, this is something that I think we can address. So we felt like it was honestly from the SOFA side, they were excited to tackle this. And it wasn't like we were saying, this is a deficit. You need to address this. You know, it was much more collaborative. In fact, I attribute way more of it to SOVA because we were just pointing it out, but we didn't think that there was enough room or if they even had the desire to address this specifically, you know, there's like so much to be addressed in you know, public health. And Prashant had sent us more of like a preliminary idea of what a program could look like first and asked us for feedback. So I think we did our best in terms of making sure that it was equal. And we told him multiple times, don't feel like you need to do this on behalf of us. We just wanted to understand more about this. And now we know through this program and how much it is helping. And we've had feedback from participants in the program saying that this was really helpful for them. So that is like a clear indication that this is working and that, you know, compared to that like original GlobeMed scenario where there was just like a warehouse of medical supplies that were unused, that clearly didn't happen here. So that's how we made sure. Were there any conflicts that you had to address with your GROW team or with the partnership organization? But I think our GROW team actually did a really awesome job of like communicating and talking about whenever we had uh, even small issues. So it never blew up into anything big. But I do remember we were visiting a temple once and my friend who is white was getting a lot of attention from the people there because she looked very different and was like tall and had blonde hair and all these things. So everywhere we went, she kind of got a little more attention than the rest of us. But I do remember we were all standing around, we were laughing and stuff, but she was laughing really loud and was being really boisterous and that sort of thing which is normally fine, but I just felt like we were in a temple scenario. And also from like a safety standpoint, there were like a lot of people looking over and that sort of thing. So I asked her, would you mind keeping it down? And she didn't really understand why I was saying those things because I said it kind of urgently. I probably could have said it better. On the way home, I explained why I felt that way, but that's kind of what I was talking about with cultural understanding. She didn't know and how would she have known that she would have gotten more attention just from looking foreign. But from my many years of going to India, that's sort of thing. I just knew the extra precautions you kind of have to take sometimes. So yeah, I think we were able to navigate that pretty well. And she understood where I was coming from. And she's like, oh my God. Yeah. Like that makes a lot of sense. Please let me know next time if I ever do anything like that. Like it worked out really nicely, but that was definitely a moment of cultural sensitivity that I wish I had maybe talked about beforehand that everyone was more aware. 
What was your connection to the local Rochester community via GlobeMed? And what work do you plan on continuing in Rochester as you come back as a medical student? When COVID hit, we obviously had to reanalyze what our relationship with the Rochester population was, especially because we wanted to make sure we weren't putting more people at risk by interacting with them since we were on a college campus bubble that had COVID cases. So we didn't want to be just like spreading stuff around. And so we partnered with Garden of Hope. I love the Garden of Hope. It is everything that I stand for, not only politically, but also in terms of what it meant to the students and the community members themselves. When Daniel Prude was murdered by Rochester Police Department and George Floyd, we had to do a lot of rethinking of what activism looked like, right? And what like race and how these things interplay with activism. And a huge thing that I and a lot of my friends learned was about mutual aid. We can try to vote as much as we can to elect senators and congressmen that will pass the laws that we want them to pass. That's a really long and flawed system and is based in a lot of racism and misogyny. And so a real way that you can enact change is through mutual aid, through helping community members on the ground, through grassroots organizations. And that's what I think the Garden of Hope is. The Garden of Hope Every single week we go to Inez's community garden in downtown Rochester, where she is growing vegetables and fruits for her community, serving as the fresh fruit and vegetable source that's free for her community. And she wanted our help. She wanted us to be able to make this happen for her on a larger scale. And I felt that mutual aid was so important. And so when I come back to Rochester in medical school, I would love to continue to keep doing that and finding other local grassroots organizations that are really caring about the community members. Like Inez knows every single community member by name. She puts so much love and care into the work she's doing. And she works so incredibly hard. And so I feel like those people are really important and are doing really incredible work. And I want to hopefully be able to assist in that in the future as well. Yeah, I absolutely love working with the Garden of Hope. If anyone listening is looking to learn more about the Garden of Hope, the University of Rochester Globe Med chapter runs an Instagram account for her. It's Garden of Period Hope. And she does a lot of incredible things besides giving out food. She is always in goodwill looking for hats and gloves and scarves for people in the community. She is constantly helping to find tutors for children in the area and teaching children about healthy eating and how to garden themselves. So she knows exactly what her community members need and she's always looking for ways to provide that. So it's an incredible organization that we've gotten involved with. As a member of the elective board for University of Rochester chapter, can you describe a challenge that the chapter has faced and how you worked collectively to overcome it? Yeah, the GlobeMed chapter at the University of Rochester requires applications, like written applications in order to join. And so when we were dealing with the repercussions of George Floyd and Daniel Prude, we were kind of looking to pretty much every organization that existed across the country to making sure that they are as equitable and equal and anti-racist as possible. And something really humbling for me was realizing that a 
club that I love so much, Globe Med, was not as anti-racist as we thought we were. The nature of our application process is completely blinded, which in theory is good. But what ended up happening for years was people were only choosing the applications for new members that were as articulate as possible, checked all of the boxes of being usually pre-med, having the perfect way to answer questions about sustainability and a lot of buzzwords about public health that most people don't have the vocabulary for as a freshman entering college. We were basically accepting only a very specific type of student, which often amounted to either white or Asian, usually pre-med. And when we, as an executive board, sat down, we were like, wait, we really need to address this, right? Because we know many people of color, many queer people, basically every kind of person is applying to Globe Med, but only a very certain kind is coming into the chapter. And so we really had to work to see if we could make our application process better. We're still working on it as far as I understand. But I do remember I had been an advocate ever since I joined to unblind the applications and not like specifically choose people that were more diverse, but at least understand that picking the perfect answer that is pre-med or public health doesn't necessarily always amount to the best GlobeMed member and doesn't make you more valuable to GlobeMed. As I've talked about so much, my worldview has been shaped so much by GHU. I've learned how to critically think from GHU. So why are we taking that away from students that just like didn't have a good enough application? And so I had been a fan of just accepting a lot of people or really unblinding and making it less exclusive. Obviously, other executive members did not have the same opinion, but that was something that has been really hard to navigate. And I still don't really have an answer, but I hope that the current members and even the future executive board can come up with maybe a more inclusive process so that everyone can benefit from GlobeMed the way that it should be. I know at other colleges, it's even more exclusive and there's like multiple interviews and all these things because, you know, there's only so many people that can join a club, but I still think there's definitely room to grow for the Rochester chapter. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I know that we've unblinded in the last cycle and we expanded the chapter a ton in the fall, but we're definitely going to keep growing and we're always working with HQ. And I want to ask one last question because you were an anthropology major and I know that you have read a ton of ethnographies and have just expanded your perspective from them. So do you have any suggestions for books or things that people should read or look out for? I love this question. (laughs) So there's a few things. My favorite ethnography is called Renegade Dreams by Lawrence Ralph. It is an ethnography that investigates the dynamics within Chicago gangs. And it is one of the most interesting, enlightening books. So beautifully written. And Lawrence Ralph basically learns so many nuanced sort of dynamics within gangs in the ways that they function, how the older generations versus the younger generations resolve conflicts and understand who they are and what this gang means to them and how it affects the local community as well. It's just such an interesting and 
understudied population, right? He looks at probably one of the most violent populations in Chicago and really seeks to understand and have so much empathy for the people that he's interviewing and analyzing. And I feel like that's such a refreshing take, especially with anthropology as a whole. I think we've really shifted in the most recent years, but before it was usually like investigating some exotic tribe in, you know, rural India or something. And it was entrenched in, you know, racial stereotypes and power dynamics. And so this book is such a refreshing idea because Lawrence Ralph is, I think, from Chicago. He's Black and is really seeking to understand the people he's interviewing. He just basically deconstructs a lot of what we conceptualize gangs to be and violent Chicago and quotes to look like. So I love that book. And then also, I would really recommend I don't know why this is coming to me, but for some reason, this came up a lot in GHU and then like GlobeMed in general, just like looking into the idea that race is a social construct created by people and is not biologically based. For some reason, that is not as commonly explained or said. I remember I heard it for the first time really in my anthropology 101 class my freshman fall and it kind of blew my mind. (laughs) Um, And so I forget that I didn't know that before. And that is such like an important concept, but really investigating this topic, asking questions and, and doing the research to understand like breaking down what you think of race as how arbitrary it can be, what racial dynamics look like and how they affect people, but also how constructed they are. It's just like so instrumental in people's understanding of the world and one of my favorite anthropological concepts. So those are my recommendations. (laughs) No, I completely agree. I took the exact same class and I remember our discussion on race and ethnicity and Dr. Osberg mentioning how ethnicity is defined so differently in different countries And it was something I hadn't even considered. And it seems so obvious when I think back on it, but I, as a freshman, had no idea. And it was so important to learn. And it like totally shapes our reality too. Like we talk about, you know, race in so many ways when it comes to, you know, affirmative action and, you know, policing and uh, governments and politics. But like, understanding first and foremost, like where these theories come from. And again, I'm not denying the racial uh, consequences, right? Like the very lived experiences that white people have as opposed to black people, as opposed to brown people, like that is a very real thing, but making sure that people understand like the very intense nuances between, you know, race and, and what we think of as social contracts. I just think it's really important. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Tanisha, for sharing her story and all of the ways that she's learned and grown from her GlobeMed experience. We've put links to the things she referenced and suggested in the show notes for you to check out, along with the Instagram account for Garden of Hope. If you'd like to learn more about GlobeMed's impact, you can go to globemed.org impact to see more about the ways our alumni are building a healthier, more equitable world. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.